Have you ever thought that your money mindset is holding you back? Here's a hint. It probably is. But there's some good news, though. Through the power of neuroplasticity, you may be able to rewire your brain for wealth. In this episode, learn how to do just that with personal finance author Barbara Hewson. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. I have a secret. I'm super excited to share something with you. First of all, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I'm super excited to share with you that we created a mental health and wealth calendar with daily strategies, with things that you can do that are simple and easy to take care of your mental health and wealth. Go grab that at mentalhealthandwealth.com. And I'm super excited to announce that we are having our very first Mental Health and Wealth Summit. So if you've ever thought that money stresses me out and makes me anxious, or I spend money to make myself feel better, but then end up feeling worse, or my mental health makes it tough to manage my money, then you are not alone. And this summit is for you. We're going to have sessions on money mindset, spending triggers, breath work, removing mindset blocks, and you can even ask a CFP your financial questions. We have limited sliding scale tickets as well as general admission and mental health and wealth supporter tickets. So if you want to join us, I would love to have you there and you can grab your ticket at mentalhealthandwealth.com forward slash summit. Thank you so much for listening to the mental health and wealth show. This is host Melanie Locker. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are brave and amazing for being here. Getting ready to listen to a show about mental health and money is not easy, and I know you are ready for these amazing conversations. But before you listen, I want to let you know that all of my content is based on my own personal experience with mental health and money, as well as the experiences and expertise of my guests. I'm not a mental health professional or a financial professional, so content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. So if you're currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, I'm interviewing one of my personal finance inspirations and idols, Barbara Hewson, previously known as Barbara Stanny. She is the leading authority on women, wealth, and power. As a best-selling author, financial therapist, teacher, and wealth coach, Barbara has helped millions take charge of their finances and their lives. Barbara's background is in business, her years as a journalist, her master's degree in counseling psychology, her extensive research, and her personal experience with money give her a unique perspective and makes her the foremost expert on empowering women to live up to their financial and personal potential. Love it. She's so amazing. Barbara Hewson has also been featured on Good Morning America, CNN, MSNBC, CNBC, PBS, NPR, as well as the New York Times and USA Today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you for having me, Melanie. I'm so excited. As I mentioned earlier, you are a personal finance idol and inspiration of mine. I started a women in money retreat called Lola Retreat a few years ago, and you know, knowing all of the work that you've done before me has just been so wonderful. And all of your information and all of your beautiful books are just incredible. And so I wanted to dive right into kind of how you got acclimated with money and 
you had to learn about money kind of the hard way after a painful divorce. Can you share a bit about that story? Uh, yes. So there is nothing, there was nothing in the first 40 some years of my life to indicate that this is the work that I would be doing. Nothing. I grew up in a wealthy family. My father was the R of H&R Block. And the only advice he ever gave me about money was don't worry, which I thought was great advice. I didn't understand money. I just wanted to spend it. And then I married a man who was a stockbroker. So he was perfect. But what I found out very early in our marriage is that he was a compulsive gambler. And over the course of our 15-year marriage, I stayed with him for 15 years, knowing he was constantly gambling my money, my inheritance away. But the really insane part of that is I continued to let him manage it. Because that's how intimidated I was and terrified by anything financial. Finally, after our divorce, 15 years, got a divorce, I decided money's not my thing. I do not want to deal with money. Well, I have learned that if you don't deal with your money, your money will deal with you. And I got yes. tax bills. I got tax bills for way over a million dollars for back taxes my ex didn't pay for illegal deals he got us in. My ex had left the country. I had I had nowhere near a million dollars, not even close. And my father wouldn't lend me the money. And I have since thanked him for not lending me the money. But at the time, I was terrified. But I knew I had to get smart. And so I, I, I read the books. I went to classes. I do everything you're supposed to do. And my eyes would glaze over. My brain would fog up. And I just felt terminally stupid. But I had three daughters. They were young. One was just a baby. I was not going to raise those girls on the street. And I really believe that when you have a commitment, like a no backdoor commitment, that you're going to walk through fire to make it happen, the universe revolves to help you reach your goal. And I was going to get smart. I didn't know how I was going to do it. At the time, I was working as a journalist writing for the San Francisco Business Times. And I was hired for a freelance project to interview women who were smart with money. And those interviews changed my life. I not only got smart with my money, but I wrote my first book, Prince Charming Isn't Coming, How Women Get Smart About Money. And suddenly I had this whole new career, <laughs> but I couldn't make money. I was traveling all over the country doing financial education for women, but I couldn't make money. So I started interviewing women who made lots of money. And I started making six figures before I even finished writing my next book, Secrets of Six Figure Women. And now seven books later, here you and I are talking. And I'm an expert on finances. Who knew? I love that. I love that. That's such an incredible story. And I remember first reading your story and just, you know, my jaw just completely dropped because there's just so much drama and intensity. I mean, the husband leaving, getting a divorce, gambling away an inheritance, having your father, who's an owner of a well-known company, not helping you out. I mean, there's just, this needs to be made into a movie. I don't know if uh, you have yet, but like this needs to be to a movie. It's just amazing. And, you know, I'm so happy that you are here, you know, with this financial education, with all the things that you've learned. And so, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the stuff in your recent book, Rewire for Wealth, which I just absolutely am devouring right now. And kind of back to this relationship with your ex-husband, you mentioned the codependent nature of your relationship. And honestly, when I read that in your book, I was so 
I don't know if relieved or comforted was the right word, but I too was in a codependent relationship for nine years, a couple of years ago, and I got out. But my situation was I was financially enabling, aka taking care of him financially, even though he was a grown man and couldn't do that on his own. And so I'm curious, what are your thoughts on codependency and money and how that manifests in relationships? Well, codependency is when you put everyone else first before yourself and your own needs and not just your friends and not just your family, but hell, perfect strangers. And it's really, I was married to an addict, but I was addicted to the addict. And that's really what codependence is. It's an addiction to to the other person. And so the work I did, I not only went for years to CODA, to Codependence Anonymous, a 12-step program, but I also checked into the Meadows, which is a codependence treatment program. And it made all the difference. It made all the difference. And one thing about codependence, one of the hallmarks is not having good boundaries. And even and I enabled him, my, my ex, I enabled him because I had the money, but I gave him the keys to the kingdom and let him make all the decisions about it. And so he just could gamble it away. And so I got to see how I had no boundaries. And that work really, really turned everything around. Yeah, codependency is a very difficult thing to deal with because especially on the surface, it can seem like it has some good qualities. Like, I just really care about the person. I just want things to be good. You know, I don't want to be a problem. But then it really can be a complete loss of identity and a shift in yourself. And I love that you kind of reframed it, that you were also enabling too, because yeah, here you were with the money, but he was the one taking it all away, doing things that were irresponsible. And, you know, in my particular situation, I realized that I put up with kind of pain for someone that could easily do the work to support himself because I was not okay with the truth that, I don't think this person can do this and I'm not willing to accept the consequences. And so in my healing and recovering journey, which also included several months at CODA is being able to realize when that codependent urge is wanting to fix and wanting to manipulate something to the way I want it to be, because it's a way for me to try to gain back control and help my anxiety. Whereas it's like, If I just let things be as they are, the truth of what I need to do will show up. But with codependency, Mm. it's like you're, you're, you're fixing and you keep trying to, well, if I, if I do this, then it's going to be the reality that I want, you know, whereas if I just kind of take my foot off the gas and I see things the way they are, then I can make a decision moving forward. But it's this complete loss of self. And I remember it was so painful for me because I didn't realize I was codependent until after the breakup. And I felt like, why do I feel like I'm having a heroin withdrawal? Even though I've never done heroin, like it was in my mind that kind of intense where I felt like I couldn't function. We had a very messy breakup because we couldn't even stop talking to each other. And there's lots of feelings of anger and resentment. And then there's the anger and resentment towards yourself too when you realize you're codependent because you're the one, once again, with the poor boundaries. You're like, how did I I never see this coming? And actually, 
another thing that you mentioned in your book that I'm super excited about because it's been a game changer in my own healing and my mental health is the concept of neuroplasticity. And I'm super excited about it because I have suffered from depression and anxiety and OCD my entire life. Like I said, I didn't even realize I was codependent and anxiously attached until a few years ago. And a lot of the science has told us that, oh, that's just the way you are and that's it. But with neuroplasticity, it just felt like a beautiful ray of hope that, oh my gosh, I can change my brain. And I've definitely seen with me getting out of my comfort zone, doing things like boxing, like dancing, like learning a language, I see my brain rearranging. And so, you know, in your new book, you mention this topic, neuroplasticity. And so I'm curious, what are your thoughts on what neuroplasticity actually is and how can it help our finances and mental health? So our brain, a beautiful organ in our skull, our brain controls everything we do, controls all the choices we make. And our life is a result of the choices we make and the action we take. So in order to change our life, we need to rewire our brain, which is a very, very difficult thing to do. But our brain is shaped by our mind. That what flows through our mind, our mind is a non-physical entity, which is the source of our thoughts and our feelings. So it's our thoughts and our feelings that shape our brain, that shape the neural pathways, that either dig them deeper or dig new ones and weaken the old ones. And so in order to change your brain, you need to train your mind to think differently. And up until like, what, 30 years ago, scientists really believed that we could not change our brain. Right, Melanie? They could not believe. But they have found that our brain is very plastic, that we can change our brain from till the day that we die. As long as we are on this earth, our brain is constantly changing. And this was like amazing to me. And when I read about neuro, I knew nothing about neuroscience seven years ago, nothing. And then one day, an article came in my inbox on neuroscience and I read it and I thought, wow, if I could integrate this into the work I do with my clients, this could really expedite the learning curve, could really weaken, if not completely eradicate their resistance. And so I started studying and learning about neuroscience and neuroplasticity. And the thing is, it is a massive task to rewire our brain. It is. It takes tremendous effort because those neural pathways, trying to go against a hardwired neural pathway is like going against gravity. It'll just suck you back in. And every time we have a thought or a feeling, it talks to the brain, it talks to the cells in the brain that releases chemicals. And those chemicals, we actually get addicted to. So if we are going to, when we go to change our behavior, when we go to change and do something different, those chemicals aren't released and we absolutely go through this detox like we want those chemicals. And anytime we're tired or stressed, we just automatically, despite our best efforts, go back, resort to the, the old neural pathway or the path of least resistance. So I started working, it took me about six years to really work with and find 
how can we rewire our brain and make it simple? It's not easy, but I came up with three steps that, that are very, very simple, but it takes massive effort. It takes tremendous commitment at the beginning. So do you want me to go through the three steps? I would love it. Okay, so let me tell you the three steps and then I'll explain them a little more and then I can explain them in more depth if you want. So the three steps are recognize, reframe, and respond differently. So the first step, recognize. Recognize any thought or any feeling that is not serving you. Let's say you're having a thought, there's never enough, or I'm not enough. And you know this thought and this, the, the feeling that goes along with it, which is not a good feeling. You know that's not what you want. You know that thought there's never enough because here's the thing. Our brain has what's called confirmation bias. Our brain will only see and will only act on what it believes is true. And if it doesn't confirm our belief, we won't do it. So it's really important. So these three steps. So you recognize the thought, you recognize a thought, but you recognize it in a certain way. Like, let's say you're thinking there's never enough or I'm not enough. And you recognize it with curiosity and you recognize it in a way that separates you from the thought because the thought isn't true. It's just the thought. So the way you do it is, oh, isn't that interesting? I'm having a thought there's never enough. Or isn't that interesting? I'm having a thought that I'm not enough. Or isn't that interesting? I'm having a thought that I need to buy those Prada shoes. Whatever it is, you recognize it with curiosity, separating yourself from it. Second, you reframe it. You see it differently. You, How can I see this in a different way? So let's say I'm having the thought, there's never enough. Reframe it to, there'll be enough. Or I'm having a thought, I'm not enough, or I'm enough, or I can do this. Whatever it is, you reframe it. And sometimes it's the opposite, or sometimes it's saying it in a different way. But really, how I reframe is I say, how can I see this through the eyes of love and not through the eyes of fear? And you don't believe that reframe. Like, like for example, I was I just had a project not too long ago. And this project was really tough, and I got really scared, and I noticed myself not wanting to do it. And I started observing what are my thoughts. And my thought was, I don't have what it takes. I can't do this. I don't have what it takes. So I recognized it. And I said, oh, isn't that interesting? I'm having a thought that I don't have what it takes. So how can I reframe this? And I played around. I thought, I can handle this. I can handle this. Now, did I believe I could handle it? No, not for a second. But any thought is just a thought until we repeat it, till it becomes a belief. So I just kept repeating, I can handle this. I can handle this. I can handle this. And the third step is respond differently. You respond as if that reframe is true. So when I thought I can handle this, so if I can handle this, I just started writing the script. I just started writing the emails. I just started talking to my team about how. And what I noticed is the more I reframed and the more I responded differently as if that reframe was true, the easier it got, the easier it got. Till it, the project was actually fun. So those are the three steps. Recognize, reframe, and respond differently. Over I and love over that. And over. 
<laughs> I love that. That is so beautiful and fantastic and such actionable advice. And I love that you mentioned that beliefs are just really these thoughts that are repeated again and again and again. And that's why it can be both so hard to undo our old thoughts. It's because we have those grooves that have been cemented again and again and again. And they're, you know, just so difficult. There's so much resistance to get out of them. But then to rewire and to form a new thought, I recently had this revelation of, oh, neuroplasticity is kind of like, you know, when you have a song stuck in your head and you just keep singing it again and again and again, you're like, oh, why is this song stuck in my head? That's kind of how neuroplasticity works is you get this kind of song, this new idea in your head, and it just keeps playing again and again and again until you start believing that as a new thought. And I think that's kind of a more fun way that we can try to approach these new thoughts is like, it's just like when you have a new song stuck in your head and you can't get it out. But this time it can be towards something fun and something that's more beneficial for your mindset. Exactly. And it's just a little bit different because that thing that's stuck in your head, that belief, it's, it's like this pathway in your brain that every time you thought it, it's like a shovel going in and digging it deeper and digging it deeper. So in order to rewire it, because what, we, what becomes wired in our brain is what we put our attention on. That's all. It's only it's the attention that wires and it's taking our attention away that rewires, like, like the song. So the more you take your attention off whatever that thought is and put it on a new one, that reframe, it starts weakening the old one. And those shovels, those little neuroplastic shovels are digging that new thought in, new thought in, even deeper. I love it. I love it. So I wanted to ask you about healing and growing because as you know, everyone knows, especially someone that's gone through the things that you've gone through, healing and growing can be painful and can bring up so many things. And when people are in the middle of this kind of neuroplasticity process, how can people face the fear of change head on, even when their brain is begging them to keep them safe, aka stay the same, especially as it relates to money? So your brain will always, your brain was designed for one purpose. Millions of years ago, our brain started developing with one purpose and it still only has one purpose, to keep us safe and make sure we survive. So anytime you go to do something new, it will always scream, bloody murder, stop, it's dangerous, you're going to die, and or something to that effect. And so that's why the commitment is so important. You have to really want to change. If you don't want to change, it's not going to happen. So you have to really want to. The second thing I think it's really important is to surround yourself with support. Because so much, so many of us are surrounded by naysayers. And when we go to change, it scares them. Not because they're bad people, but it means they have to change too if they want to stay in our orbit. So it's really important to surround yourself with, with supportive people. And the key, I learned this long ago in interviewing successful women, the key to going to the next level in your life, and I don't care what it is, I don't care if it's losing more weight or making more money, it's always to do what you don't want to do, to do what you fear, to do what's uncomfortable. I ask under earners, when's the last time you did something you thought you couldn't do? And they'll scratch their head and say, ah. I ask high earners and they say all the time, it's a way of life. In fact, they have a high earner slogan, I called it. If it's not illegal or immoral, I just say yes. So the key for me, the key for me is when I get scared, like writing this book on neuroscience, I read it, I got excited, and then immediately I went into a panic. 
who am I to write a book on neuroscience? Who am I to, to do this? And I thought I went into a fear. So when I go into fear, I, I get a little panic, but then I say, oh, goody, because that's a sign I'm going to the next level. And that's when I get lots of support. And that's when I act on it anyway. And the more, because I have a quote, it's my favorite quote in the book, uh, and the quote by Joseph Campbell, and it said, the cave you fear to enter is where your treasure lies. So when I get scared, I know I'm heading towards something good. So I just keep reminding myself and surround myself with people who keep reminding me and then apply those three steps. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I love that you mentioned that you really have to be ready and committed. I mean, this is the type of thing that gets repeated again, especially with people wanting to make big changes in their life, like stopping an addiction, losing weight, like earning more money is you have to want it really badly and you have to be ready for it in order to make those changes. Because if you're not ready, then you're going to have a lot of resistance. Well, I'm going to but you don't have to necessarily be ready. Sometimes the universe thinks you're ready before you are. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to feel you're ready because yeah. I was certainly not ready to write this book. I was yeah. not ready to take charge of my money. I was not ready for anything. And most of us aren't, but we have to be willing to go for it. We have yes. to be willing to be uncomfortable. And that's why I think support is so important. Ah, uh, That is a good point. There's another quote I love that I learned from, interviewing so many successful women. There's this quote that says, uh, I jump off the cliff and build my wings on the way down. And that seems to be what I saw really differentiates highly successful women from those who aren't, is they're willing to jump off the cliff before they're ready. I love that. Thank you so much for clarifying. Yes, you might not be ready, but you have to be willing and also just to deal with the discomfort. And I often encourage people to think of discomfort as kind of just a friend or a sidekick, someone that is there that you can just acknowledge their existence. You don't have to have an opinion about it. You don't have to try to force it away. You can just say, oh, hello there, discomfort. Nice to see you again today. I'm going to keep doing my business and continue to move forward. I love that, Melanie. In fact, I'm going to do that. And when discomfort's, I'm going to say, oh, welcome. Welcome, discomfort. And thank you. Because you must be telling me that I'm on going to the next level. So I'm going to not just go in there. I'm going to welcome it. So that was great. Yes, welcome it. Would you like some tea? Welcome to my tea party. You must be here to tell me I'm going to the next level. I love it. Well, here's some tea for your time. I'm going to ignore you. You can keep yourself busy while I get to work. I love it. Perfect. I'm going to quote you. Yes, please do. (laughs) So I'm curious, how will you start to know if the rewiring for wealth is working? So if someone's like in the middle of this process and they're trying, how do they know that it's working or how do they know that maybe they're not on the right path? Okay. First of all, you'll know it's working because your life will change, but it won't be working for a couple of weeks. You'll, I'll tell you how you know it's working. If you feel resistance, if you feel a lot of resistance, if everything is saying, I don't want to do this, it's working. Because resistance is always, it always comes. It always comes when you go to do something new. It's a natural, inevitable response to change. And there's nothing in your brain that wants to change. It wants to keep the status quo. So if you're feeling resistance, that's a sign. The key is not to let the resistance stop you. And what you'll notice is as you keep repeating 
So the recognizing, reframing, and responding differently, as you keep responding differently over and over, you will begin to notice. And it's usually only in hindsight because it doesn't, it's like you notice, oh my gosh, that was easier. Oh my God, that that started feeling normal. Oh my God, I'm not rebelling. I'm not resisting. So it's sometimes only in hindsight, but I promise if you're feeling resistance, it's right. Because if you're If you're not going outside your comfort zone, there's no resistance. If you're not trying to change, you're not resisting. So it shows that you are really making an effort to change. Yes. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing that. So I also wanted to touch on your other books, Overcoming Under Earning and Secrets of Six-Figure Women. Both of them changed my life. And I think they are such amazing books in the personal finance canon. I think they're amazing in all the work that you've done. And so You know, we've obviously gone through so much in the past year, especially women. And so I'm curious, what advice would you give women today struggling with a mental health toll and financial loss due to the pandemic? That's such a good question, because I've had quite a few clients really struggling. And my daughter, who she and her husband own a movie theater, they're struggling. So... But what I found in every single case, and this is not Pollyanna, in every case, there was an initial reaction of panic or fear or depression. But once they got through that, it's, it's such a cliche of the silver lining, but every single one of them found something in themselves that they didn't know was there. They found a way to get around it or through it or over it that they didn't know was there. And it was like it forced them to lift heavier weights and to build some atrophied muscles. And the creativity that came out of that, not that there wasn't fear, not that there wasn't panic, but alongside of those came some really huge discoveries about themselves and what was possible that they wouldn't have had before. I I have a a line in one of my books, in my first book, Prince Charming Isn't Coming, that my editor thought was really corny, and so she took it out. But I put it in, I love the line, so I put it in my other book, Sacred Success. And it said, in our deepest pain lies our highest purpose. So I know in some of these women that I've worked with, they discovered that what they were doing wasn't really fulfilling them. And they found other ways to make it more fulfilling or they absolutely changed careers or what my daughter and her husband found is their ability to go with the flow and work together as a team. And they really became so creative and found ways to do an outdoor theater and found ways to do things that help them survive and go through it. And and the confidence that I saw both of them develop was very it was very heartwarming. Ah, thank you so much for sharing. And yeah, I think for anybody listening, it's so important that we take an inventory of all that we have survived and gone through this past year and that we are way stronger than we can ever imagine. And just being able to show up every day and do our best. I mean, we've grown in ways that we probably didn't want to, but we were forced to. And yeah, are there ways that we can reframe our growth and figure out how can I bring more joy to my life? Is there something about the old life that wasn't working? And I'm encouraging people right now, you know, as things are starting to open up again and we go back to more of a quote, normal life, 
what are the things that we don't want to go back to so that we still have room for something else? Because I know a lot of people were happy that they had more time at home or more time with the kids or yeah, like you said, maybe this was their opportunity to change careers and try something differently. So even though I personally don't think that a silver lining can happen right away in all situations in time, sometimes they can, or like, is there a way that you can reframe it so that you can take heed of all of the success and the beautiful things that you've you know been able to experience and grow? One thing that helps me, it, it, this is another cliche, but one thing that helps me when I'm in tough times is the saying, it's not happening to me, it's happening for me. And it, oh, you haven't heard that? I have, but it's been a minute. So I'm just like, I love hearing it again. Yeah. So remembering that this isn't happening to me, it's happening for me. And this is how I really lived my life ever since I had that financial crisis. And I saw that that crisis actually led me to finding my calling. So every time something tragic or bad or scary happens, I always want to receive it, that this isn't happening to me, it is happening for me. And I can't know, like you said, right away, I can't know. But when I take that as an opening to, okay, let's see what this is giving me, it shifts my energy, it shifts my attitude out of being a martyr and poor me and a victim, although I go through that, but out of a victim to, oh, goody, let me see what the universe is bringing you. Let me see how how this is helping my growth. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful mantra for getting yourself out of this kind of victim mindset, which, you know, is natural when things just happen and it feels overwhelming. And why is this happening to me? But then, yes, even just repeating that to yourself, this is happening for me. It is so much more expansive and so much more growth oriented and kind of goes back to this abundance mindset of why is this happening to me is kind of going back to this scarcity mindset of why, why, why there's so much, you know, there's not enough for me. Why is this happening, you know, for me, this is much more abundant and expansive and open to new opportunities. Exactly. Yeah. You expressed that very well. Thank you so much for this beautiful interview. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you. I'm curious, do you have any parting thoughts about your new book or anything else you would love to share with our audience? I would like to share that I had a dream of, maybe it's like your Lola, but I had a dream of creating a community where women could talk about money as women. And so I have a online community called The Wealth Connection that if anybody's interested, you can go to my website. But it's it's where we get together as women in a safe space to talk about money, the the practical, the psychological, the spiritual, the mind-brain connection, and all aspects of it. And we we have group coaching, and we have experts come in, we have a book club, all kinds of things. So that's what I'd like to share. Oh, perfect. That is amazing. I love that. And I think that's such a beautiful thing to share with our audience. And You are just doing such amazing work and we'll be sure to have all of your books in the show notes as well. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you? The best place is my website, Barbara-Houston, Barbara-Houston, H-U-S-O-N.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Want more content and support? Sign up for the Mental Hump newsletter and get our free mental health and money inventory worksheet. 
You can sign up at mentalhealthandwealth.com and also check out our other blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, we host a mental health and wealth hangout every other Thursday over Zoom at 5 p.m. Pacific to chat about all things money and mental health. The best part, it is free. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review. And you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.